You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome to Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Thursday, the 3rd of October, 2019. Thank you all for tuning in. This is a very unscheduled program, and I posted something, I think, on Facebook a couple of days ago that I was going to try and get something out this week, and um, I don't know if a regular schedule will emerge over the next few weeks. I'm not going to pick a day just yet. I'm going to see what works, and... um, been a pretty busy week. Um, kind of Monday was tired from preach. I don't know if Monday is going to be a good day because I'm usually um, tired from preaching on Monday. So uh, it's not always the best day for a program, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, won't rule it out, but um, didn't quite work last Monday. Uh, Tuesday was our first day back at college. Um, those of you not aware, I am training for the ministry. I'm a, I'm a student, I'm a candidate. Um, I have about two more years left of college and all going well, Lord willing. Um, and again, all going well. And I'd ask for your prayers on all that, um, that I would be potentially eligible for a call in about two years time. Now there's a long way to go yet. Um, you know, people keep emailing me that I'm a pastor. I'm not a pastor, by the way. I do preach quite a bit, but I, I am in training and I do have a lot to learn. Uh, it's been a great to have this platform to share and to discuss theology and things like that. But you've got to realize um, there is a massive difference between me doing this program and the the job of a minister of the gospel. Um one of the things I noticed um, over at a two-month placement in the, uh, the, ch- the churches I was in, and um, the reason I was in two churches was it's a joint charge, and there's one minister over both of them. Uh, long story short, if you're not a Presbyterian, but if you're pres- some, some churches are, are um, there's three of them. Whatever the uh, long and the short of it is, I l- one thing I learned was the enormity of the task and the massive difference with people you'll see on YouTube, um, on whatever form of media, on the radio, whatever the case may be. That's all you see of them. You don't see them in the homes. You you can't go and fellowship with them after. Um, And preaching of the gospel, the actual preaching on Sabbath morning, Sabbath evening, it, it, don't equate this program with preaching. Preaching is it is how would I put it into words? How many people have gotten saved through the preaching of the Word of God in the God in in, in the Scriptures? How many people got saved under the preaching listening to this program? This is not preaching, by the way. This is kind of teaching. Um, should probably spend maybe a program doing that because I think a lot of people diminish the preaching of that happens during worship. And the difference between it and regular teaching and... Preaching comes with authority, and I think that's the major difference. It's being sent by Almighty God with a message from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, calling all men everywhere to repent with authority. And you are calling on them, not by your own authority, not by your own word, but because of the Word of God. And you must be called of God or else your ministry or whatever else is doomed to failure. Um... So that's <laughs> that's me. So um, so Tuesday was busy, and Wednesday, um, just getting back to college and normality again. So hopefully something will settle down. And um, I've been sitting on this video that we're going to cover for today's program on Jordan B. Peterson uh, for a couple of weeks. I saw it a couple of weeks ago, 
and I wanted to cover uh, his take on Cain and Abel. And uh, I'm not sure how many people are going to be listening to this live because I haven't really told anybody. It's been kind of, I just stuck it up on Facebook. And um, if people want to let people know, that'd be great. But people can always listen after the program. Anyway, so I wanted to cover, uh, do a program on Jordan B. Peterson. Jordan P. Peterson, for those of you not aware, it's kind of unusual. If people aren't aware of who he is, um, he got famous a couple of years ago. He was uh, very much in against the whole transgender, the use of pronouns, um, the enforced language of uh, the LGBT uh, community. But um, I won't get into all that, but he kind of rose to prominence. He's Canadian uh, professor. And compared to what is normally on the, in the media and what's normally ends up on television, he's a breath of fresh air. Now, at the same time, while I, on an intellectual level, I certainly have a lot of respect for Jordan Peterson. Um, at the same time, I have never heard a credible profession of faith, sadly, from him. I'm not saying I've watched every single video he's talked about the Bible on, but I have never heard a presentation of the gospel. I've never heard... Um, anything that indicates that he believes the scriptures are the word of God. Um, this is not, a, oh, by the way, one of the reasons I'm doing this video is not so to expose him or anything. I would love if Jordan Peterson came to a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'd love if he came to Christ. Um, he seems to have a kind of a psychological understanding and a kind of a gleaning from the scriptures of moral things that may be gleaned, but they're not even really accurate. They're, some of them are some of the things he teaches from a, a moral standpoint and certain advice that you might give anybody. Certainly, he does share cer certain things that are true, but the way he presents the scriptures, it's not. And um, one of the reasons I was very interested in uh, him looking at Cain and Abel was, well, it's a thing that I'm very, very interested in myself, uh, preached in about a, what, six weeks ago, two months ago, and um, you can actually find that message on Sermon Audio if you're interested in that, but it's been, there's so many things in Cain and Abel that kind of get misunderstood, and it really ought not to be that way, especially for Christians, so I uh, I am I'm appealing to those people who would be Jordan Peterson fans are coming to the scriptures for the first time. And there's a positive in that fact that there's a lot of people who otherwise would never have probably come near the scriptures. And look, I was challenged by somebody who wasn't even a Christian to look at the Bible. And it eventually led me down a road that eventually led me to being a Christian. So perhaps the Lord will use... Jordan Peterson, I don't mean that he's a prophet or anything like that. I just simply mean, perhaps, people will gain an interest looking at Genesis chapter 4, which we're going to look at in the first, uh, first few verses of the, of the chapter, who Cain and Abel were, and uh, if Jordan Peterson's uh, evaluation of it really stacks up, and sadly it doesn't. And again, I don't believe, just to be clear, I do not believe Jordan B. Peterson is a Christian in any meaningful, biblical manner. And I don't mean that to be nasty. I don't mean that to be a kind of gotcha moment. I'm not trying to do this for hits. I hope, by God's grace, those who are Jordan P. Peterson fans, perhaps will listen to this and perhaps will come to Christ through it. I'll be honest. Here are my, <laughs> here are my cards on the table. I want you to hear the gospel, and I want you to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. This is why I'm doing this. And also, for the Christians out there, perhaps perhaps you've never really considered Cain and Abel and the significance of the biblical account. And look, there's a lot of people who are Christians and neglect the book of Genesis, neglect the opening few chapters, and don't think it's that important. And I hopefully, by God's grace, we can bear out how important it is, okay? 
Abel is dealt with, by the way, in Hebrews chapter 11. So this is not just a quote-unquote Old Testament issue. So hopefully, by God's grace, this will be a blessing to you. Let's get into it because um, I will... Um, what time is it here? It is half 10 here in Northern Ireland, where I'm doing this program from. So we'll try to keep it to about an hour tonight because I got to be up early in the morning. Oh, sorry. I am. My audio is not working. Hopefully this will work now. Uh, this is the problem. When you do an unscheduled... Interesting way, because... There we go. Whenever you do, this is why I tend not to do unscheduled ones at the last minute, because this is what generally happens. Something like this will break, and I, I presume that something else will break. Keep me in your prayers. It would be much appreciated. ...of Cain and Abel, and it plays on that, because in a very interesting way, because it indicates what happens, and it, it, I would say it... it it what supports my general hypothesis about what the first story means. Because what happens with Cain and Abel is that, well, they're brothers, right? And uh, so, hypothetically, the first two real human beings. And they don't really like each other. Okay. Um, I, I don't want to be... A little cliche. I don't want to be stopping every five seconds, even though I probably will end up doing that. Um Adam and Eve are the first two human beings. Um, Romans chapter 5, for example, makes it very, very clear. This is not a hypothetical person. This is not uh, Adam. If you're going to accept Genesis chapter 4, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. Okay? Adam was the first person created, and then Eve. Okay? Um, again, if we want to accept the biblical authority and... Right off the bat, it's an indication that he doesn't accept the Bible as the authority. Abel is a good guy by all appearances. Um, God smiles on him. Fate smiles on him. How about if we put it that way? Everything that he does seems to work out well. He makes sacrifices, which the text insists upon, and the sacrifices are rewarded by God. That's a very, 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 very important, crucial document because... We already noted that men and women had discovered time in Genesis. They discovered the duration of their life and the existence of death and the necessity for toil. And by the time we get to Cain and Abel, human beings... Okay, so let's make a little commentary in there. I'm... the Look, I, I listened to some of his other presentations on the Bible, and... The reason I'm picking this clip, which is 12 minutes long, is because it, it tends to get right to the core. I mean, Peterson has been... He has a style. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying that it's, you know, to get straight to his point, um, I think these 12 minutes probably get to his point just as well as maybe two and a half hours. A little bit meandering, but I digress. Um, not not a pop shot at him, just simply a statement of fact. Um for for critique purposes, okay? Uh, now, he's talking about, just to keep it very, very simple, Adam fell in Genesis chapter 3. Real human being, nothing biblically to indicate that he wasn't, or he symbolized anything, or anything else like that. Um, Adam and Eve, Eve was created out of the man um, by God and their first children Cain and Abel okay just keep it very very simple the, the, the Genesis does not indicate anything else but normal human history I'll just give you one indicator that will show you that there's no reason to indicate anything like millions of years or anything else like that. Uh, for example, the first creation week, that's why we have a seven-day week following the pattern of creation. Uh, start of Genesis chapter 2, we have the first Sabbath, uh, verses 1 to 3 of Genesis chapter 2. Nothing to indicate anything. 
Um, we are to be imitators of God. It's one of the reasons why, look, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. There's the Sabbath, the first Sabbath. God didn't have to rest from anything, of course, but he rested from the normal toil, or toil, um, the normal, the creation work or the work of the other six days. That's the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath for us humans is not just twiddling our thumbs as works of necessity and mercy, but we're resting from our normal work in order to be to be rested to um, to rest in Christ, basically. Okay, and this is a law that goes prior to the fall of man. Um, given Adam's given responsibilities, again he sins, and the first sacrifice. And I'm just pointing this out because it's necessary because he's bringing it in. And I think a lot of times people hear sacrifices and they don't know why. They don't know why um, there were sacrifices in the Old Testament. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, and if you look at verse 21, and for Adam and Eve, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So, and it it looks like as well in verse 20 that Adam has made a profession of faith. He calls his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, the, the promise of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent is given in Genesis 3.15. The judgment is pronounced upon mankind. And then Adam is indicating right after that that out of Eve by the title, um, would come the promised seed. And you say, well, how, how do I think that? Well, right after verse 21, it says, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Compare that with Adam and Eve's attempt to clothe themselves with fig leaves. Our own efforts will barely, will not cover us. It, it will be inadequate. God must cover us himself with the righteousness of Christ, okay? So we need to be clothed from our shame before God. God is the one who is to clothe us if we can uh, stand before God, I, right? So that's, God kills the first animal. That's where the skins come from. Verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, he clothed them. And there's need of the debt, like, the wages of sin is death, and there's, there's a need for death in the place. Well, if you sin, death is demanded. In Adam, all die. So either you die or a substitute dies in your place. And in the, in the Genesis chapter 3, a substitute, this animal, dies in the place of Adam and Eve. And throughout all the Old Testament, right up until the time of Christ, the, the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, pointed towards the gospel. It was a visual teaching of the gospel, the need for a substitute and the need for someone to bear the punishment in the place instead of you and me. And that happened right from the fall. It's wonderful if you go into Genesis chapter 3. I could spend a lot of time on this, but um, that's why sacrifices were done. And Christ came as the, you could say, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. ...have discovered in this dramatic manner that if they make sacrifices in the present, that hypothetically the future can be better. And that's, that's like, I don't know if that's not the major discovery of mankind, it's certainly among the top one or two. There's an element of truth to that, but that's not the point of the passages at all, okay? Of course, you, you make sacrifices today, but why? Be who is in control of all things? Who is the Lord of Providence? Is it just... Without a God who's in control of all these things, there you cannot make sense of any laws or any control or any regularity. It's just all random. It's very 
It's really something for a creature, for an animal like us, to notice that if we give up something that we want right now, we can sort of bargain with fate, as it were, to get something better in the future. And that, that's really what you do when you work, right? Because when you work, by definition, you're doing things that you'd rather not do right now, because otherwise it wouldn't be work. And the reason that you're doing that is because you think, well, if I give up what I really want to do impulsively right now, then over the medium to long term, things will be better. And so, okay, so uh, this is not even not even close to what um, Genesis chapter four is talking about with Cain and Abel. You have two sacrifices, right? Um, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, okay? So, Cain was a tiller of the ground. He brought the fruit of his labor, okay? Um, verse 4, Genesis chapter 4, Abel also brought the first fruit of his flock and of the fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, and he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So we've got two different sacrifices, and if you just look at this by itself, you probably go and scratch your heads and go, well, how could he have known? Maybe, maybe it had something to do with the effort that was placed in. And we do know from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith, this offering was made by Abel. Um, there was a difference between Cain and Abel. We know from other parts of Scripture that Cain is evil. Cain is evil. And we know later, he, obviously, he murdered his brother. He had a hatred towards his brother because his brother's works were good. And his were evil. Abel was good and Cain was evil. He was, he was not born again. He was not regenerated as the Spirit of God. But why was, apart from that, I know, of course, they go together. Um, because by faith, if you do something by faith, what is the fruit that comes out of that? Obedience. Obedience. We're not saved by our obedience. We're not saved by our faithfulness. But if you say, if you look, go read through Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through, by faith, all these things that all these godly saints from the time of Abel onwards did. Um, so let's compare Cain and Abel's sacrifice. What was the difference? Now, Cain brought the fruit of his own labor. Here's what I do. I'm a tiller of the ground. I'm going to bring my own... Of course you're going to love this. Um... Abel brought the first fruits of the flock, and you might say he did the same thing, but what did Abel do that was different to Cain? Abel followed the example in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. God killed the first animal. The animal sacrifice is there in Genesis chapter 3. Abel also brought the first fruit of the flock and of their fat. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We are to be what? Imitators of God. We are to follow God. We are to be like God. You know, God says in a number of times in the scriptures, and Peter says it in one, one of his uh, Catholic epistles, be holy, for I am holy. Why? Because we're to be like God. We've been created in God's image. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, or 26 and 27. We're, that's a standard. Now, we can't be like God in his incommunicable attributes, things like we can't be omnipresent, we can't be all-knowing. However, we, we, Adam was created upright. He is, man was created to be holy. Now, he's a sinner. The image of God has been defaced, not eradicated, but defaced. And... But the reason, the difference, let's go back to Cain and Abel. Cain did not follow God, and he sought out inventions. Abel followed God's example, and Cain hated him for it. And you also got to point out, if you go throughout the Scriptures, what were the Old Testament sacrifices? In the Old Testament, worship. This was... Worship. This was part of worship. It wasn't the only worship that took place, but it was worship. Now, it talks about the sacrifice in the New Testament, the sacrifice and praise of our lips, a sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. He uses that same language, obviously in a kind of a metaphorical sense, you know, that this is pleasing before God. Um, but this is sacrifice. Or this is worship. 
before God. And this is also teaching another thing, but difference in Cain and Abel. We can't just go before God with our own inventions. We must follow God's example and the things he's laid down. We are to be imitators of God. You learn, you believe that making the appropriate sacrifices has the propitiates God, let's say, metaphorically. And Abel's sacrifices work. Man, everything he touches turns to sheep and camels and women, and he has everything he wants. Um, the only way the Old Testament sacrifices propitiate, and they don't in a, in a real sense, but because they point towards, they are a type of, and they point towards Christ. They point towards Christ. The only, these are all, that's why they stopped. That's why the, the, the inner temple, the, the Holy of Holies was rent after Christ. That's why there's no longer a temple. That's why there will never, ever be a physical temple again in Jerusalem. You say, where is the temple? The temple, the spiritual temple has always been and will always be the church, the congregation of God. It is a spiritual building, and the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. But to get back to the point, we can never, our works incur the wrath of God. And the works covenant, which Adam had with God, has been broken. Adam was to obey God perfectly. That's the test of that perfect personal obedience required by Adam was the test of that was do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge good and evil. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. Okay? That was as soon as Adam ate of that, he showed his rebellion in that word sense. I know Eve sinned first, but Adam was the federal head. Adam was the representative. It's in Adam all die. Okay, and then we know from Romans chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and 14, all the way down to verse 19, that, the one, that he is the figure of the one who will come. The first Adam, and then the second Adam is Christ. The, the first covenant is a covenant of works. The second covenant is a covenant of grace. Now, in the first covenant, Adam, the federal head, fails. He has broken that covenant of works. The second federal head, the second Adam, Christ Jesus, obeys the law perfectly in our place. Whosoever puts his faith in Jesus Christ is in Christ. In Adam all die, but, in, but all should be made alive in Christ Jesus. So your works, your greatest deeds are but filthy rags. Anything you do doesn't come close to the standard required of God. The nicest thing you've ever done in your life, still outside of the blood of Christ, still merits God's wrath. Your greatest minute, your greatest second on this earth would condemn you to hell. Again, this is why I'm doing this program. Again, it's not like a gotcha kind of program. I hope it doesn't come across like that. The whole point of this program is this. The gospel and the truths of the righteous demands of the gospel even come across in Cain and Abel. The gospel is in Genesis 3. The gospel is in Genesis 4. In Genesis 5, in Genesis 6. Noah was saved by grace in Genesis 6. Abraham was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Genesis 15, Genesis 17. The same way, as soon as Adam failed, as soon as he sinned, as soon as he was in rebellion against God, the only way any person would ever have any relationship with God was by grace alone and through the merits. Now, it was to them at that point in time, Cain and Abel, it was future. And we know that Abel was righteous, not inherently righteous, 
but based on the merits of Christ. Of course, his works were different to Abel. There's a sense in his sanctification was showed he was righteous, but the just shall live by faith. And that perfect personal righteousness required to come before God is only found in Jesus Christ. Only found there. And everyone likes him, and everybody thinks he's a good guy. And, you know, that's pretty good for Abel. But Cain isn't doing so well, and nothing he sacrifices appears to have the proper effect. And there is some idea in the story that maybe the sacrifices he makes are a little bit on the half-hearted side, and that God isn't all... Um, that's reading into the text. There's nothing to indicate that. Um, nothing at all. ...thrilled at those sacrifices as a consequence. And that's really worth thinking about, again, for about 50 years, because it is possible that if you're making sacrifices and they're not working out that well, that it's not so much that God hates you, it's that your sacrifices could be of a somewhat higher quality, right? That you're playing a game with yourself and with the structure of reality, and you think you can get away with it, and you can't. And the fact that you're not getting away with it and that you can't makes you bitter and resentful and cruel and vengeful and homicidal eventually, and worse than that, because there are far worse places than you can go, that you can go than merely homicidal. Anyways, Cain has enough of this one day, and he says to, he decides to have a chat with God, and it goes something like this. Um, a lot of this is, it's reading into the text, it's reading into the text. I mean, unless he's got some apocryphal accounts that I'm not aware of that, that might exist somewhere, but if we're going to use the, uh, the Bible as the authority, um, look, Jordan B. Peterson is a psychologist. He does not claim to be a theologian, not that I'm aware that he claims to be a theologian, and again, this is not like kind of, um, look, there's going to be, there's always been, well, there used to always be, people in academia who would have talks like this. This is kind of a rarity nowadays. Uh, people are afraid to even discuss things. So there's a, there's a level of, well, at least he's looking into it now. He's completely wrong. Um, but hopefully, by God's grace, again, it will uh, bless somebody. But again, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. Anybody's coming to this for the first time and is a Jordan B. Peterson fan, um, I would implore you to look at the other texts in the Scriptures that talk about Cain and Abel. It, it talks about a, a Cain in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, actually, ver, uh, verse 11, sorry. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Nothing to do with the effort, by the way. Do not marvel, my brethren. Of course, I'm, I'm not saying that lack of effort is not sinful or anything like that towards God, but that's not the whole point of it. Abel's works were righteous. Cain's were wicked. They were evil. Verse 13 of 1 John chapter 3. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we, we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So Cain is a murderer. Cain, and why does Cain hate Abel? Very simple. We like to make, well, perhaps it was a father issue. Very simple. Abel's works righteous, and he hated able for that. This is why all those who live righteously, who love God, will suffer persecution. Not some. Every single person, I was having a chat with somebody today about this, every single part, you know, we, we talk about when the church is persecuted, it is holy. You know, we were having a kind of discussion about this, and he was making some very good points, but I was even saying as well, the church the actual, the church is persecuted. 
Now, we always think of persecution as being laid off and tortured, and of course, there's that persecution, but there's other persecution as well. Um, there's the type of persecution that Christians in Northern Ireland have, have seen recently. Um, the MacArthur family, the Asher's Bakery case, which um, the authorities put the poor MacArthur family through a lot, and there's that type of persecution, um, you know, putting pressure on people to support things like the LGBT cake and all this kind of stuff that they wouldn't want to support. And there's that type of persecution. There's the persecution of being excluded from society, ignored, and all this kind of stuff. So every Christian suffers that. And it just depends on the degree. And I'm not saying that we, we sit around, we sulk about it. But it's a matter of fact that we are the Christians, those are in Christ Jesus, will be hated because our works are righteous. Not because we're wonderful or fantastic, I think because we're in union with Christ. And those who are outside of Christ are of the wicked one and hate. Now, the way that is seen, you may get on with people in the world. I mean, I've got lost um, some of my family, brothers and sisters, parents, lost. Okay, don't know Christ. Um, get on really well with a lot of them. It's not to say that it's always going to be um, in the same way, but you will suffer persecution. There will be that animosity seen between Cain and Abel. It won't obviously always end in murder, but there will be that same persecution. Um, I mentioned this earlier, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 which deals with Abel, and is also, it's Abel is dealt with other parts in the scriptures as well, but I'll just read this. Verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why? By faith. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being still speak, being still dead still speaks. Basically, Abel's testimony, even though he was killed, in Genesis chapter 4, he even, and though he being dead, still speaks. Pretty amazing, isn't it? not encouraging. That even if the evil one kills you, your body, Abel's testimony still speaks. Praise the Lord for that. Um, and look, you see all the way throughout uh, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, um, by faith Noah in verse 7, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah in verse 11. And then you come down to Moses, by faith Moses. And I just want to read a little bit about Moses, about the faith of Moses, verses 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. So his parents showed faith in being hid by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to endure the joy of passing pleasures of sin. He said, he turned from the, 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 the temporary or the passing pleasures of sin for a season and turned and suffered. He chose to suffer with God's people. And that's what faith is. It's choosing to suffer with God's people. For the, and esteeming, verse 26, the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. All of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 had faith in Christ. They all had faith in Christ. I'm not saying that they had the same knowledge we have today of who Christ would be. But they all had, they all trusted in the promise, pro, going right back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The, the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. So it's by faith in that promised deliverer in the Old Testament. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's by faith alone in the same Savior, by grace alone for us today, looking back to that same Savior who has satisfied justice in our place. Quite a, an arrogant chat, really. Um, it's almost as arrogant 
as Adam's was stupid. Um, and Cain basically challenges God. He says, look, I don't know what sort of world you think you put together here, but uh, we've got Abel, and we've got me, and like everything's just working out for him, and you know, he's perfectly goddamn delightful, and everyone likes him, and, and whatever he touches, like King Midas, turns to gold, and it's all easy for him, and uh, then there's me, and I'm like breaking myself in half here, and I'm offering up my sacrifices, and like you turn your nose up at them, and nothing works out for me. And implying, by the way, that... I will point out that there is, just before the straw men come up, there is an element of truth here, that Cain is, is angry. Uh, verse 5 of Genesis chapter 4, Cain was angry, and his countenance fell, and... It, it's the same time when anybody comes before God and offers up the, the, their imagination, worship, or anything else like that, and they're angry. They're following Cain's example. It's a scary thing, isn't it? What does God think of strange fire? Foreign, profane fire. Fire that he has not commanded? Read what happened to Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1, 2, and 3. And we say, well, mm, that's the Old Testament. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I'm not saying that the Old Testament ceremonial law is in place anymore. It's not. It was given to Israel as a body politics. It's very, very clear in the Scripture in that. It was given to Israel at Mount Sinai. And now that nation is gone, and this, the judicial laws are also gone. But the moral law written with the finger of God, that has never, ever changed. It was written and got in man's heart from the creation of onwards. Um, even Gentiles have a certain element or a certain amount of it, um, even though they're, they rebel against it and hold that truth and righteousness. Um, if you want to check that out, Romans chapter 2, verse 15, and also um, suppressing the truth and the righteousness. They, you see, every society on earth has laws against murder, you know that murder is wrong, but outside of Christ, outside of the light of God's word, they will fight against it. It's revealed in creation. Heavens declare the glory of God. Start of um, Psalm 19. It's God's fault, and I would say more than implying, um, stating quite forthrightly that it's God's fault, which, you know, takes a certain degree of arrogance, you might think, and that's also worth thinking about for a very long period of time because it is possible that if things are going well for someone that you know and not going so well for you, that it is a consequence of the quality of your sacrifices. And I don't want to push that too far because I know that people have bad luck, you know, because we are... The, the only reason, there's only one reason that they're accepted is because it points towards the, the perfect sacrifice, which is in Jesus Christ. He, he obeyed the law perfectly. He was that spotless lamb. He was that, that lamb that was provided in the place of Isaac. You know, um, God says to Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. So um, he was that promise, the lamb. He, the, here is the lamb of God. It takes away the sin of the world. I just want to read this really good comment here in uh, the chat. Um about a uh, brother in the Lord and, and Noel. Benjamin, how are you doing? Um, he says this, he offers some good advice. This is talking about uh, Jordan Peterson on certain topics, but he doesn't realize the only thing that are, uh, the only things that are good he teaches are borrowed from Christianity. Exactly. Self-discipline, responsibility, doing good works, etc. And he, yeah, exactly. They're doing, and it's kind of in tying in with what I mentioned about Romans chapter two, verse 15. Um, I'm just going to quote that because, well, that, it's barred from Christianity. And because we've been created in God's image, there's, there's the revelation that we have all around us, uh, you know, natural revelation, but also the law of God written on our hearts, even though we may be unregenerate and we may fight against that. Romans chapter 2, verse 15 says, "...who show the work of the law written in their hearts, this is talk about the Gentiles, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. 
So you can uh, read upon that, meditate upon that in your own time. Let's continue. Fragile creatures intrinsically, and terrible things can happen to us on a somewhat random basis. But it's still very much worth considering. That's the rule in chapter 6. Put your house in order before you um, criticize the world. That the reason that things aren't turning out for you as well as they might is because your sacrifices just don't have enough blood in them. They're just not what they should be. You're not putting your full heart into it. And as a consequence, you're not reaping the, fee- the you're not reaping the crop that you might otherwise sow. And that's a harsh thing to think, but that's actually Again, nothing in the text to indicate that actually, to be honest, there's nothing God doesn't respond with anything. Why? Because there's sufficient information already been given. The example has already been laid out, just like the Sabbath law. The Sabbath law, if you look at it, I'll just give you as an example, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and then it's not mentioned again until Exodus 16, and it's taken for granted prior to the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. Prior to that, it's taken for granted that they know that they're supposed to keep the Sabbath law. Also, it's taken for it's at that point, it's known that murder is evil. How does he know that it's wrong to kill? The law of God written in his heart. So murder's always been wrong. And what is that a fundamental breaking of, summarized down the law into the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He fa- murder is an attack. Genesis 9-6, the, the death penalty, is an attack upon the image of God. And also, obviously, it shows a lack of love towards neighbor. One of the commandments says, thou shalt not kill. God tells Cain, which is quite interesting. I read a lot of different translations trying to understand this. And what God basically says is, uh, look, buddy, um, (laughs) before you dare to criticize the creator of the world or reality itself, for that matter, you might give some thought to your own actions. And here's how I look at it, being God and all. Um, You're in a house, and there's a doorway, and in the doorway there's a a predatory cat, and it's, it's sexually aroused, and it's after you. And you invite it in, voluntarily. And you let it have its way with you. And... Something's produced as a consequence of that that's, well, you might say unholy. And, and what's the idea? And the idea is, well, it's sin that crouches at the door. The- um, it's a strange picture to use. I think something far less unpleasant would, would have been better, but I digress, so we continue. And that means to miss the mark. It means to make an error. And it... Uh, just to point out, while he's just talking about sin, sin is, you know, all of all have fallen short of uh, all, all of sin fall short of the glory of God. Uh, sin is any want or transgression of the law of God. And to simplify it down, it, it's like if you have a, a mark, kind of a bullseye, it's to fall short of that. Anything short of the the law of God, but it's also sinful, a trespass, to go beyond what the law requires. So, perfect personal obedience, any want or transgression of the law of God, that is sin. Thing you have to invite into your life, but it isn't just that you invite it in and it stands with you, it's that you invite it in, this, this, this malevolent way of being, and you enter into a creative union with it that's, that's symbolized in this particular story using a sexual metaphor, and it's the combination of your perverse will and this capacity... I don't know where he's getting the story from. I, it seems like it's made up, but I digress. Maybe somebody could let me know where he gets it from, if it's some pseudepocryphal source that I'm not aware of. But if we're going with the biblical text, that's the only reliable source of information we have. And, it's an, and if we're professing to be Christians, it's our authority. For cruelty and malevolence that you meld together into something that's uniquely pathological and yours. And that's basically what God tells Cain. That's what you've done. And that's why your life isn't turning out 
as well as it might or as well as your brothers. And so why don't you uh, get the hell out of my sight and think about that for a while? And Cain leaves and he's not happy about it at all. Which is fully understandable because, you know, if you're having a wretched time of it, then you're having a wretched time of it. And then if your brother's doing well, you know, that's just salt in your wounds, man. And then... Um, again, for risk of repeating myself, um, you have... Just in case this is confusing anybody, in Genesis chapter 3 of Adam and Eve, you have... In Genesis chapter 4, you have Cain and Abel. Um, Cain kills Abel. And there is... Cain is wicked. He is evil. There's a mark set upon him. Um, he has family, but it would be safe to say that they were not raised in the faith and trusting in Jehovah. Um, and then, at the end of G Genesis chapter 4, instead of the line of Abel, there's given another seed, Seth. Okay? And then it says at the end of Genesis chapter 4, then became then men began began to call on the name of the Lord. This and you see this pattern, Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 6, of a godly line and a ungodly line. Okay? Um and that's basically it. And one one line trusted in God. The other one didn't. Their, their children were raised in the faith. How else? You have to presume, I suppose, a few things. You know, with Cain and Abel, that they were raised in the faith and the promises. I mean, um, what did Eve say of Cain? And she says, I have acquired a man from the Lord. She attributed it to God at the start of Genesis chapter 4. And as soon as the rebellion got so out of hand, Genesis chapter 6, and you have these mixed marriages that take place in Genesis chapter 6, God judges the earth. Noah is saved by grace alone through faith alone. So it's the same all the way through, very, very, this, this seed spoken of this godly line, going right back to Genesis chapter 15 germinating, growing the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the and the, it's a somewhat partial fulfillment of that, which is like this enmity. Just look at Genesis 3.15. If you want to understand Genesis, Genesis 3.15 is a great way, well, most of the Bible, really. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's just two seeds, and there's going to be war. And we still see it today. And what do we see with Cain and Abel? That division, that enmity, that dislike play out. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This language of bruising the head of the serpent is also used at the end of Romans chapter 16. I think it's uh, was a verse twenty. I think it is. I'll just look there really, really quickly. Ultimately, it's Christ. Christ is the one who crushes the head of the serpent. But this also talks about this language of the fulfilling of this prophecy, this promise in Romans chapter sixteen. And I'm just hopefully just giving you some food for thought to meditate upon the things and really dig into Genesis. Really dig into Genesis. We are really blessed in the college we're in at the moment to have uh, an Old Testament professors who are really, really excited. And it doesn't happen very often. We're excited about the Old Testament, honestly. And it's a, it's a blessing if you find people who are excited about the Old Testament, try and get books in the Old Testament, um, commentaries, old, probably older commentaries are probably better than the ones today, but I digress. Um, Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. 
very, very similar language. Anyway, we'll continue. Then maybe you could rationalize that because the world's unfair and your brother is lucky and you're unlucky and all of that. And you can, you know, reserve a little bit of self-respect as a consequence of that rationalization, even though it's pretty thin. But then you decide to go and have it out with God and he just basically says, no, that's all lies and it's actually a hundred percent not only a hundred percent your fault but something that you've done voluntarily and that you know you did and that you made far worse by doing it voluntarily and now you're lying about it and complaining about the structure of reality and so of all the bad news you could possibly get about if you want to just more I suppose biblical terminology than complaining about the structure of reality um, God's law and the structure of reality, if you want to put it like that, um, God is the one who holds all things together. God is the one who's sovereign over all things. Um, he, he's the creator. He's the sustainer of life and everything in it. Um, there's not one single particle of dust, not one single molecule that moves without his permission. Look at the start of Job. Even Satan himself asks permission in Job chapter 1 in order to afflict Job, the righteous servant, in whom God had placed a uh, hedge of protection around. So God is in control of absolutely everything. And complaining about the nature of reality, complaining about God, complaining about God's righteous standard, perfect, personal, obedience. Now, all have sinned. No single person outside of the Lord Jesus Christ has ever walked upon the face of the earth and kept the law of God perfectly. That is the righteous standard of the law. Only Christ. And we must repent of our sins, turn from them, and place our faith in Jesus Christ to run to him. Why it is that things aren't going well for you, that's the worst. Especially if it's actually delivered by God. Because then it's hard to argue with. So what happens? Well, you'd think that maybe if Cain had any sense, which he doesn't, he's too far gone, he'd go sit in a cave for about a decade and, and eat locusts and honey if he could find some and think about all the terrible things he did and then come out and, like, apologize to Abel and to the people he didn't do well for and, and like, with a little humility, start again and, and maybe have a life. But that isn't what happens. What happens is that he decides he's going to take revenge. And he takes revenge in a terrible way. He kills Abel. And then you think, well, what does that mean? And this is a terrible story, right? Because it's really the first story about human beings that we have in, in, at the base of our culture. Because Adam and Eve were made by God, so they don't count. Cain and Abel, they were born. They count. And so the first story is this terrible murder of a brother. And a murder that was motivated by jealousy and spite for, 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 for living positively in the world, right? It's about the worst story you could imagine. And so Cain goes and kills Abel. Um, living positively in the world. Um, what did Cain do? Again, he was a tiller of the ground. It says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, And Abel was a keeper of sheep, so Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. Basically, he brought his works. He brought, you know, people sometimes come with before God with their worship, and whatever. It's like, well, you know, I like to paint. I heard this once, by the way, from somebody years ago. So I like to paint. I like to offer painting before God. I was a young Christian at the time. Didn't know what to say. Um, well, it's... Um, God will not have respect towards it, and um, might think very not think very well of it and if you want to look more into this it's called a regulative principle of worship uh, which is basically a an expansion upon the second commandment we're not to use the second commandment I, I know it talks about statues but that is basically if you want to boil it down to what it's in a, in a I don't want to say in a more complete sense but it's all about not using your imagination to form idols. 
creating either idols of God or creating ways of worshiping God that are not commanded by God. And also the, the fourth commandment plays in with that as well. But if you want to go to MiguelReady.com, done programs on the regular principle of worship, um, and the Puritans wrote it on it. So I would, I would read what the Puritans said about that because you see a kind of a free-for-all when it comes to worship, and I want to, I want to bring what I want to bring, and, and that's another thing that we can learn as Christians today from the story of Cain and Abel. It's not just about a jealous brother. It's about more than that. It's about a brother who hates his, his, his other brother. Think about this. This is flesh and blood. This, it, it is a horrible story. Um, but why did he hate him? Because we're told in the other parts of the Scripture, we're told in 1 John, Abel's works were righteous, and Cain's were evil, and he was of the wicked one, and he was a murderer, and he was not born again. He was not regenerated. Abel was godly. We know this from Scripture. Go through all the times it mentions righteous Abel. The blood of righteous Abel. He was, in a sense, he was the first, not even in a sense, he was the first martyr for the church. I know we think of the church in the New Testament, but there was, um, there was the Old Testament co congregation, the congregation of the Lord in the wilderness. Same word, uh, kaved. I think it's kaved in uh, Hebrew, which is also translated in the Greek Septuagint, ecclesia, which is church. Okay, don't get wrapped up in the, the... There was a church starting right back in Genesis 3. Now, in our English translations, it'll say church in the New Testament. That's more of a choice of, um, you know, how you translate a certain, you know, ecclesia in Greek, or um, I think I think it's kaved off the top of my head. Did a month intense, of course, of Hebrew, and uh, forgotten a lot of it, but that... Hebrew word, if I'm not mistaken, translated ecclesia in the Greek Septuagint. The Greek Septuagint was a third century BC translation of the Greek of the Hebrew Old Testament, and the word ecclesia is used. If you're wondering, um, congregation of the Lord. Very, uh, of course, synagogue is also used. Where we get synagogue in other places. More talk about the building, but I digress. Um, same idea. Same idea. And the Puritans of old would call it, and the Geneva 1599 would call the Old Testament, or the Old Testament church, the Jewish church. Under a different administration, of course, but the Jewish church. And God, you know, asks him about it, and Cain says, well, am I my brother's keeper? And that doesn't work out so well because God has actually figured it out. And Cain says, my punishment is more than I can bear. And it might be because God has banished him. He's put a mark on him and banished him and told people to leave Cain the hell alone. And I, I think that was to stop like a cycle of revenge killings, let's say. Although it's complicated to say. But maybe his punishment is more than he can bear. Because there's a problem when you take your ideal, let's say Abel happens to be your brother, but your ideal, the person you really wish you could be, because that's what Cain wants, and then you kill it. You've killed your ideal. You've destroyed your ideal. And then what do you have? You've got nothing, because you need an ideal to live for. And if you destroy your ideal, then you've got nothing. And I'll leave it there. There's only about a minute left. Um, a highly fanciful idea. It's A lot of psychology does this. It's like, oh, you know... I and by the way, look, from an intellectual point of view, right, Jordan Peterson is one of the smartest guys on earth today. Jordan Peterson intellectually could run rings around me. I'm not disputing that at all. But spiritually, he's foolish. Because anybody who sees these things in the scriptures is because of the grace of God. The mercy of God. It's not because, oh, I'm smarter than, you know, because we can get frustrated and think, why can't he see this? Such a smart guy. Why can't he get this? He's blind to it. And we need to, we need to pray for him. We need to pray for the people to listen to him. Perhaps, look, 
perhaps the Lord will use this. There was a movement in the oh, 15th century, humanism. And much of that movement laid the foundation for the Protestant Reformation later on. Desiderius Erasmus was a humanist who gathered together the Greek New Testament and that spearheaded, I'm not even saying Erasmus was a Christian or anything, but he gathered together a lot of the Greek New Testament, published it, and a lot of those ideals laid the foundation to what later people would go to the original sources and would feel a lot of the Reformation. Of course, it was the Spirit of God. But perhaps the Lord will use us. We don't know. We should pray for it. We should pray for Jordan Peterson. It's from Paul Flynn. May God bless you all.